So, so good to see Jessica Maslin in Monza, Zambia, with her students at the school, those students at the school, helping us in this Advent season to think about waiting, or some would say preparation or preparing, which is the theme of this particular Advent Sunday. And I'm so excited to talk with you a little bit about this as I was preparing and thinking about this and wondering about this uh, particular thought process and where God seemed to be leading me. I ran into a story that I had heard some time ago. And the story's been around a while. It's, it's actually from 1958, so, you know, a little while. And as I read this story and heard it again, I knew I would be sharing it with you this morning. This is a story that might help us in our thinking a little bit about planning or preparation. This is told by Gerald, I won't say his last name, you'll know why in a moment, uh, in 1958. Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in Block 3 of the Accident Reporting Form. I put poor planning or preparation as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later, were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks onto it. And then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 240 bricks. You will note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the, and then he lists the injuries, which I won't go into, as listed in Section 3 accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph 2 of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. 
This accounts for the, and then the more, more injuries to my legs, and oh boy. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. Please see reporting form. Well, I tell you, as I thought about this story, and I'd heard it before, but as I thought about this story, I thought, you know, the reason why I think this made me chuckle, sadly, was it reminded me of 2020. <laughs> yeah, we're up, we're down, something's hitting us on the way up, something's hitting us on the way down, we're landed, oh no, something lands on me, right? Does it feel a little like 2020? I think the story appealed to me, because although he talked about poor planning or preparation, I'm thinking, yeah, but look what happened to you, or look what's happening to us. Have you felt a little this way? Do you wish there's a reporting form <laughs> that you could fill out? Please see, you know, box number three. <laughs> oh, but I think perhaps the most appealing part of the story for me was when he said he lost his presence of mind. <laughs> what a way to put it, right? Have you, maybe in the last nine months, ten months, lost your presence of mind a little bit? Anybody? Yeah, you're like, today you mean? <laughs> Sometimes in the middle of a thing, it's easy to lose your presence of mind. It's, it's easy to lose a sense of perspective. It's hard to know how to prepare. It's hard to know how to or what we're doing, what we're doing. Well, this morning, as we think about this theme, and there's some beautiful connections here that I saw God doing in my mind and in my heart this week in particular. As we think about this and this idea of waiting or preparing, I had a question that kept coming to my mind and it wouldn't leave me alone. Have you ever had that happen to you? I wake up with it sometimes. And so I knew it was for this morning. I knew it was for us. And the question is this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Maybe someone has said that to you in kind of a tone. What are you waiting for? That's not the tone here. It's a genuine question. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm waiting for 2021. That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> Right? But those are just numbers and dates. That doesn't really describe what you're waiting for, is it? Does it? What, you, what are you waiting for? It might be that you're waiting for something to end. Maybe it's you're waiting for something to start. Maybe you're waiting for something to change, something to be better. We, we all are waiting for that. What? are you waiting for? As we look at something today, I wonder if Jesus has brought that question to my mind and now yours, so we can see what he has to say to us 
in the waiting. Let's pray. So God, here we are, once again, whether we're online or in this room or some other time, we're listening to this. We look to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are our teacher. We now say to you, open up our minds. We choose to cooperate with you in that process. We choose to open. We ask that you help us open our minds to whatever it is that you are wanting to say to us today. We trust you. We depend on you. We say so together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we're in Isaiah um, this whole month. We're looking at a particular passage, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we began the series of thinking through when Pastor Nick talked to us about Jesus as Wonderful Counselor and the woman at the well. Oh, it was very meaningful in what he said to her. It was interesting, I don't know about you, as I've been reading that particular passage a lot lately, I've been thinking about it, and I keep hearing um, Handel's Messiah in my mind, that particular song, Wonderful, for he, I think it's Unto Us, for Unto Us. I keep hearing the violins. Anybody? I just keep hearing it in my head. Oh, my goodness. Every single time I read this, I hear them singing. That's not a bad thing. Um, it's, it's, if I try to sing along, maybe it would be, but... Um, it's just a lovely sound. I have, it's almost like I have a track that follows this verse with me everywhere I go. Well, this morning, as we think about this, we're going to look at the particular phrase, everlasting father, everlasting father. And I had such a fascinating time looking at this because we don't normally think of Jesus as our everlasting father. It's not usually the name we give Jesus, and yet Isaiah prophetically gave us this particular name for Jesus. So interesting to me, as I looked at this and studied it a little bit, um, I really, there's quite a history surrounding this particular concept and idea of everlasting father, Jesus being everlasting father. It's really interesting. Uh, there was some confusion about this in the early church, frankly, uh, where some asserted that Jesus was the Father or that the persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine revelation and that not distinct or coexisting persons of the divine nature. The, well, you're saying, what are you talking about? Well, that's just theological language for the Trinity is three people, three persons, not three modes of one person. Three persons, one God. And Pastor Nick will explain that more to you. <laughs> You're welcome, Nick. You're welcome. But actually, this, they had this thought, and they called it modalism, where, no, 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 Jesus and the Father are the same person. And the early church squelched that. It's, it's, it's not true. It's inaccurate. Three distinct persons, one God. So what then does everlasting Father mean? Well, it's interesting Jesus himself, in John 10, verse 30, says, I and the Father are one. Know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. 
And again, in John 14, verses 9, he says to Philip, so interesting, Philip says, show us the Father. He says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? It's interesting, Jesus very clearly here is not saying he and the Father are the same person. He is describing a unity in character and purpose. A unity in character and purpose. Uh, Hebrews 1, 3 says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Jesus has the character and quality of a good father. The character and quality of a good father. Let's take a moment to think about that. Let's pause. Just three seconds. Let's just pause. It might be online. Maybe you want to put in a word that comes to your mind when you think of good father. Maybe here you can be thinking, what comes to your mind? Let's just pause for a minute. Okay, I'm going to give the people in the room and I an opportunity to shout it out. What came to your mind? Shout it out really loud. Gentle. Say it again. Gentle. Gentle. Patient. Patient. Loving. Loving. Rest. Again. Rest. rest. You can rest in him. Anybody else? Provider. Provider. Accepting. Accepting. Oh, you are good. Great. Maybe online. You had some of those same ones or some other thoughts about what a good father is. Jesus has the character and quality of a good father. And we see that in this story in John 8. And in John 8, verse 1, we see a very interesting situation unfold. Watch for the character and quality of Jesus in this story. Watch for it. John 8, verse 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and Jesus said, Teacher, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such women. I'm going to pause here for just a moment and say, not quite accurate. The law says they both, man and woman caught, are to be stoned. Where's the guy? Just saying. The law says to stone both the woman and the man. Where's the man is my question. And they said to Jesus, now what do you say? It's very clear, verse 6 is very clear what their motive was. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. The trap is this. If Jesus agreed not to stone her, uh, it's interesting, well, if, if he agreed to stone her, let's start with that one. This practice was not carried out or enforced very often. So it's really interesting they chose to do this. Um, and so the, he would be discredited with the people. 
But if he chose to say, yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead and, uh, or if he's, let's see, you know the other one. If he decides to defend her, well, then he's avoiding the law and he's discredited in the eyes of those who care about the law. There was a, it was a no-win situation in this particular story. So interesting to me. Here's what Jesus did. This is utterly famous and so intriguing. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept questioning him, which is interesting, they just couldn't put up with that. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, no one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Some versions say, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I, this story has intrigued people. Maybe you've heard, I'm, you probably have heard it before. There's been some speculation, and frankly, that's all it is. What was he writing in the sand? I doodle, so I, it wasn't a big question for me. I don't know. Maybe he's doodling. We don't know. Scripture does not say. There's quite a bit of speculation. But it's so interesting to me. It was brilliant. And what character quality do I see in Jesus in this moment with this woman? Merciful and righteous. Both. Not either or. He's both. He's merciful. You know, you're not going to be stoned for this. Righteous. Don't do this again. Don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. Merciful and righteous. Oh, that's our father. That's the picture of a good, good father. Merciful and righteous. It's so interesting when he said to Philip, Philip, you want to see the father? Look at me. Friends, you want to see mercy? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. You want to see righteousness? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus, the righteousness of God for me and for you. Oh, that's what he's pointing to. That's what he's pointing to. Remember, Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me. The Holy Spirit always says, look at Jesus, always. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. He's always saying, look at Jesus. What did Jesus say? What are Jesus' words? Look at Jesus. Why? He's going to reveal the Father. He reveals character and quality of God most seen at the cross oh, at the cross it's beautiful it's beautiful and to her oh don't you just want to know what happened to her I do we'll have to wait for heaven for that one to see what happened to the woman merciful Righteous, he didn't throw the stone. He didn't, and he won't. He didn't, and he won't. Someone hearing me? Yeah. He won't. He took care of your sin and mine at the cross. 
So the character quality as I see in the story is merciful, righteous, loving. There's also an invitation. I heard it. Go and sin no more. Go, go and live a life. Don't leave your life of sin. I, I see an invitation. And you also see it in the very next verse, verse 12 of chapter 8. The very next verse is so interesting to me. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. It's so interesting to me as I think about this. Last week, uh, Pastor Nick said in this beautiful story of the woman at the well, and she's saying, oh, they worship here, I worship there. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you're looking for, and I'm right here. Oh, that so spoke to me. It's like, oh, that's right. I'm right here, Jesus says. Emmanuel, God with us, right here, right now. Oh, I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that last week. And this week, as I was thinking about that, and the deepening, the deepening understanding the deepening understanding. What does it mean that he's with me? He brings ability. Ability. He is able to be merciful and righteous. He brings ability. We'll explore that even more next week. But oh, I, I just realized he's saying, I am here. I am able. And I bring you light bring you light. Do you need to see something? I do. I'd like to see past the fog, the proverbial symbolic fog of these days. I do. So a question keeps coming back to me. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And as we go into this section of worship, there's an opportunity for you, an invitation, if you will, to think about that question with your good, good, everlasting Father. As I was thinking about this, it's possible that you had a very good earthly father. It's possible that your father was merciful, maybe not perfectly, but he was maybe righteous, maybe loving, but no earthly father is everlasting. Oh, this father, this father is everlasting. This means he will never leave us or forsake us. And he even says so, doesn't he? Everlasting father, everlasting father. So as I was processing all of this and thinking it through, I thought, what am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is it possible that if you name it, you and Jesus can partner on it? Is that possible? So during this worship time, would you take a moment and see if you can name it? What are you waiting for? Name it. And don't just say 2021. That one doesn't count. What about 2021 are you waiting for? Name it. It, it might be something a little deeper. It, it might be, I want freedom. 
I don't want to feel this pain every day. Name it. It might even help to write it down or comment on it if you feel like you can. If you name it. And then, don't just leave it there. And then, surrender it to God. Can you give it to God? Can you do that? God, I, I didn't even think to do that. This week as I was thinking, oh, that'd be a good thing to do. Oh, wait, I don't think I've done that. <laughs> it's so interesting how quickly maybe we garner resources, our own resources, our own time, our own efforts, problem solve it. I didn't think to surrender it or give it to God. Why would I do that? Now I'm partnering with him when I do that. Now I'm partnering with God. Now it's the two of us in this thing. And I believe, I really believe, because I think I heard it, if we will do that, he will, because he's the light of the world, he will show us an action plan. He'll show us an action plan. Oh, he's a good father, merciful, righteous, loving, here, present, powerful, able. Oh, and he loves you, and he loves me. So God, as we go now into this worship time, as we think this through with you together, give us the courage to name it. And I pray that as we have the courage to name it, you will also embolden us to give it to you. Just give it to you. as some kind of an offering, as sloppy or messy as it might be. And then as we do so, to listen as you say, okay, let's work out an action plan about that. Oh, Father, give us the courage and the, and the, the time the patience to wait as we sit with you on this, to not hurry through it to the next thing, but to listen to you and what you have to say. Oh God, we don't want just to wait and wait and wait like we're at a bus stop. It's not about that. You're here. You're here. How we thank you. How we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.